0: My favorite humorists, Mark Twain. Dredging into memory, it seems that Twain was one of the first humorists to grab my attention as a young reader. Most kids' first exposure to Twain is through Tom Sawyer, the smart aleck boy who was always a step ahead of the rules and always has a scam going that often involves getting the better of his friends and family. The incident that comes first to mind is the one about the painkiller, a tonic that Tom's aunt Polly forces him to take. Back then, kids were given such tonics all the time. <clears throat> the painkiller was most disagreeable. Tom gives his portion surreptitiously to the cat, who reacts by going berserk. Aunt Polly worms the truth out of Tom, who confesses that he gave the cat his medicine. And Polly becomes furious and scolds him for doing such a cruel and thoughtless thing to the poor, dumb cat. Tom, then makes her see how she was doing just that to him. Aunt Polly, for all her sternness, loves Toms and wilts when she realizes her double standard. Toms' pal Huckleberry Finn becomes the center of a later Twain work, the peak of his achievement, featuring Huck and the slave Jim's escape down the Mississippi on a raft. Although humorous, the story covers many levels of the society, but it takes Huck, the outcast, to really feel the injustice of slavery. He at one point says that he recognizes society sees nothing wrong with slavery, the pious and religious thing would have been to turn Jim in to the authorities. That just doesn't seem right to Huck, and he accepts, and he'll be damned to hell. <clears throat> the river is perhaps the main character in the book, with its moods and changes. The storm on Jackson's Island is unforgettable. The close calls, the picturesque characters met along the way. The idea is for Huck and Jim to float down river to Cairo at the southern tip of Illinois and go upriver on the Ohio to Freedom. There's a small illogic in the fact that Huck and Jim's home town back in Slaveholding, Missouri, is straight across the river from Free, Illinois, and Huck and Jim could have accomplished the same thing by just paddling across. But that would have been a different novel. By concentrating on the extreme and grotesque episodes, Twain produces a vivid and semi-surreal world, which, while in its particulars is possible, the overall impression is disconcerting. This is certainly the formula for success in fiction convince the reader that what he sees is real would use extreme and colorful incidents as long as they're not so extreme as to seem impossible. Eventually, Huck and Tom miss the mouth of the the Ohio and drift further south into slave territory on both sides. After many scrapes, they light in a place where they're recognized, and Tom Sawyer shows up. Tom takes over the last chapter of the book, putting Port Jim through many more trials, not telling Huck and Jim the news that Jim has already been freed. The boyish escapes that Tom engineers are cruel and unnecessary. Eventually, Tom does reveal the good news for Jim, but only after engineering these final episodes. The last chapter of the book is often condemned, but both in a supreme act of imagination, Twain doesn't let us go so easily. And through a kind of double reverse irony, this last chapter further underlines the evils of slavery. Huck is then adopted by the widow Douglas, who tries mightily to civilize him, but eventually fails, and Huck lights out for the territories. Many authors, including Twain himself, have attempted to pick up the thread and write about the further adventures of Huck Finn, but none of the sequels have had much impact. Twain never surpassed the power and inventive genius of Huckleberry Finn, but the money and fame it brought him did not make him lean on his laurels. One part of his nature was to always be looking for an easy way to get rich. He never held much of a steady job other than a brief time as a steamboat captain on the Mississippi. Old times on the Mississippi is the record of this period and contains some of his best work, later expanded into life on the Mississippi, which is the same material much padded. Some of the humorous works that I most appreciated included the famous stories such as The Notorious Jumping Frog of Calaveras County, what stumped the Blue Jays, and various domestic yarns, such as Mrs. McWilliams and the Lightning, and Mrs. McWilliams and the Burglar Alarm. The other great moments tend to come from his travel books, such as the scene in the escape of the escaped tarantulas in the bunkhouse and roughing it, and the faux-naive personage he puts on The Innocence Abroad, where he, <clears throat> he asks the guide in Egypt if the mummy on display is dead, and is indignant that the guide can't even show a single living mummy. There are a number of hilarious treatments of Twain's struggles with French and German, including the damned German language and a literal retranslation of a French translation of his jumping frog story. His autobiography is very rich in humorous as well as tragic reflections. As he became a worldwide celebrity, Twain tended to do less humor and see himself more as a philosopher and critic. It's hard to escape noticing the juxtaposition of his critique of golden age capitalism with his own mendacity and failures to strike it rich. He bankrupted himself, financing a typesetting machine that was supposed to automatically justify a line of type, but which was too finicky to be practical. Rather than leave his creditors in the lurch, though, Twain's wife, Livia, convinced him to undertake a two-year global speaking tour to pay off his debts. He did. About 1959, a number of Twain's harsher works were finally published. His daughter, Clara, had prevented them from being published on the grounds that they did not represent her father's true feelings and personality. On her death, Twain's Letters from the Earth came out, a ferocious blast uh, against religion, which by that time was hardly unconventional. Other bitter works were published in his lifetime, perhaps giving the lie to Clare's explanation. The novella The Man Who Corrupted Hadleyburg is about a stranger who takes a grudge against the town of Hadleyburg, where everyone brags that they uphold the highest virtues. The main character conceives a plot of publishing a note in the local paper saying that he was a stranger who was down on his luck, when once he came through town, but someone looked kindly on him, and he wants to return the favor by giving the, a fortune to that person if he will just identify himself. In no town, the town ta- <clears throat> in no time, the town is turned upside down by people imagining that they are the one referred to and claiming the money. Eventually, the town is disgraced, and its self-regard is destroyed. When I was at college at Oberlin, the rumor still passed around that Twain was writing about the town of Oberlin, which was certainly high up in the self-righteousness scale at the time. Although Twain did speak at and circumstances suggest he was thinking of some generic town instead. On the whole, the later bitter Twain doesn't do very much to enhance his standing as an author, even though his many financial reversals and personal tragedies can be cited to explain his darkening moods.